I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey guys, welcome back to Soul Sisters. I'm your host, Jesse Katz. And today's episode is with an artist known as Verite. Her real name is Kelsey Byrne. And she is this amazing independent artist who produced her own debut album that came out earlier this year. It's called Somewhere in Between. And she's someone who I read about a lot on social media. I actually started following her before I was even familiar with her music as a way of, you know, you kind of bookmark people sometimes. Like, oh, this is someone that everyone that I love is into. So I'll just start following them and eventually catch up to why everyone's obsessed with them. And once I started listening to her music, I realized exactly why, because she's awesome. And her music is super rad. And she was a great person to talk to. Love this conversation. So I'm just going to keep it short and sweet and get to it. Here's me and Dara talking to Kelsey, a.k.a. Verite, on Soul Sisters. I want to say hello to Verite. Welcome to Soul Sisters. Thank you. And what is, what is the sort of way? What should we call you? Verite, Kelsey? What is the breakdown here? That's a million-dollar question. I mean, if you ask me, like, now we're friends, so definitely you can call me Kelsey. Okay, okay. But I bet you some people around me would be like, Verite only. Right, right. So, so it's a weird Like your thing. publicist? Yeah. <laughs> I like to humanize it really quickly, though. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, Verite is definitely the stage name and enables me to do things that probably me as Kelsey wouldn't. It's like a more badass version of myself, as yeah. I like to say. And so, but day to day, it's it's like weird when I meet people and they refer to me as Verite. Right. Yeah, I imagine. That makes sense. But you do feel like it is almost like a little bit of a mask that you put on when you're performing and doing things that allows you to be kind of a little larger than life? Is it that situation? Yeah, I wouldn't even say like a mask because it's definitely a very natural representation of myself. I would just say it creates a little more space, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Would you say it's a truer representation of you? Uh, and that's why you picked at that. At times, <laughs> yeah. It really depends uh, what mood I'm in. Okay, <laughs> that's fair. Um, when did you When did you choose that name? So at the very at the very very start of the project, uh-huh. I had been recording music and playing live for a while under my name, and it felt so wrong what I was doing for a minute. 
And I felt really lost in that. And so I started writing the first EP, and I think there was a very clear sense of, oh, this is right, and I'm excited to pursue this. And so I knew I wanted to change to a moniker just so that Mm -hmm. I could have a clear separation between what I was doing before and Mm -hmm. and where I was going. Mm -hmm. And from there, it's a really not glamorous story of me sitting on (laughs) Google for a day. And I set a deadline by 5 p.m. because I was going to release a video and and all of this and yeah google that's awesome yeah i mean picking names is hard picking we names with like this the podcast uh, and also setting yourself a deadline for something so important and creative is i feel like from what i've read about you is almost a way that you are that you operate and you like when you're in business mode, you, you get it done. And that's something that, like, you could just be like, oh, I'll pick this in the next year. Like, or I'll figure this out when I absolutely need to. But you're like, no, today. Well, otherwise <laughs> I won't do it. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I just know myself. If I don't set a deadline, I'll sit on the couch and, like, watch bad television. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, that's interesting because you seem like a huge self-starter. Like, your entire career is due to you kind of kicking your own ass and being your own boss, right? Yeah, being probably too hard on myself at all times. Okay. I'm trying to adopt like a more zen approach, yeah. which I'm failing at miserably. So I find that the tricky thing about that is that's probably what's led yeah. to a lot of your success, right? So you don't want to curb that too much, right? Like how no. do you find that balance? balance? Yeah. I think the balance is like what I've learned is all I have to do is put one foot in front of the other. And uh-huh. so if I look too much at, at the big picture, I get really intimidated. Mm. And then I start comparing myself to other people. And I'm like, oh, but I'm not playing arenas. So why do I do what I do? Right. Uh, so it's very easy for me to get into that headspace. Uh-huh. And so what I've done is really just always looked at, all right, what am I doing today that is going to like push the needle a little bit more? And some days there's more to do than others. And so there have been times where it's like, okay, today I'm writing, I'm in the studio, I'm touring, I'm doing press, X, Y, Z. And then sometimes I've sat and I'm like, I have nothing to do. So, okay, cool. How can I engage with my fans Uh that I value and love and appreciate and make them understand that? And so that's how like a lot of, you know, postcards have been written and driving across the country playing the album for people and and things like that to... So there's always something to do, big or small. Mm-hmm. I imagine that you feel like, yes, you're not playing arenas yet, but that the trajectory to on the road to that has been consistent and con- like leading and growing in a way that's pretty exciting and fulfilling. Like, are you feeling confident in that? I feel super confident in that, and and so when I look at the very practical realities I can sit and be like okay I've I've accomplished things you know this last tour was definitely um very reassuring in that way Uh it's you show up to a city and you realize oh these people know every lyric to every song on the tracks of the album that were not singles they didn't come for the 1975 cover right and so that to me was amazing and I had set the goal a few years ago to headline Music Hall Williamsburg right because I just I love that venue Mm -hmm. and to have it sell out a month in advance was Hmm. a very like affirming thing and so I'm starting to be able to appreciate the small wins as I go yeah um just to live do you think do you think that way a lot sort of in that secret the secret way of like I'm I imagine that in three (laughs) years put it into the universe I would like to headline 
Yeah. Called, yeah. That's li- I, I, me and my manager have spreadsheets upon spreadsheets of like goals. Yeah, short and long term goals and how do we accomplish them? And I think we're. You should start doing that. That's great. That actually, sounds yeah, like I think really that's good great. advice. Yeah. What I've learned is if you don't write them out, you have nothing to compare them to. You have like no barometer for what mm. success looks like. Mm-hmm. And so you'll never achieve any sense of feeling not successful, but feeling fulfilled by what you're yeah. doing if you don't set those benchmarks and so the goal was to sell out musical now we did like what's now, the next one yeah exactly. now the next goal is like irving plaza let's go right. and so <laughs> but you've done that i i haven't but you have the show no i that's like future that's okay. probably sometime oh, I thought next I saw a year oh i'm opening oh cool. two nights at irving oh, and nice. so i get a taste of it okay <laughs> and then i'm like all right you're next when did you start doing that though Writing out goals. Like thinking that sort of large scale. Well, I think, so starting my career independently when I started, I had zero knowledge of the music industry. Like almost sad how much I didn't know looking back. And it's amazing how much knowledge was accessible. And I just didn't Mm -hmm. know where to look or where to turn to to get it. And so slowly but surely working with people and, and integrating myself and releasing music and finding success in streaming and all of that, you know, I started pivoting to, okay, if I'm going to remain independent, I need to be organized. I need to be, be methodical and I need to know what I'm trying to do and, and just to focus myself. Mm-hmm. I will say that your new album sounds like an artist who is playing arenas. Definitely. Thank you very yes, much. all over the radio. Like, that yeah. album feels so familiar the first time that you listen through it. Definitely. You know? So, um, I don't know. I feel like you have also made the product that is ready, <laughs> you know? Thank you. Yeah. I'm excited to tour more of it and, and play sure. it for more people. But that record, for me, was kind of crazy to make but I did it in the same way that I run my career it's like I executive produced it I was like taking all these parts that were completely scattered and all over the board and I was like I'm gonna make this puzzle into something that I love yeah Yeah. I mean can you kind of walk us through how exactly you were able to do that yeah because I feel like a lot of artists will listen to this wondering exactly how you figured that out (laughs) you know it was a process and I think it was a challenge in my own confidence Mm. because I come from a background of being really unsure of myself Mm -hmm. and really lacking in a lot of Mm self-confidence and so when I took this on it was really daunting and I felt a lot of pressure to make something you know iconic and and massive because Uh the EPs had done so well and that pressure was only coming from me no one else was putting that on me right and so the process of making the record was I started just taking sessions with really anybody I was like cool let's producers or produce mostly producers I mean all of the writing on the albums is mine, all the melody, all the lyrics, but then there's a collaborative process that comes in, and I welcome people to rearrange my ideas. Uh-huh. Um, and so mostly producers, I feel like I tried some writers, and I still haven't found writers that 
I feel like I can work with freely mm -hmm. and that challenge me, but also stay in line with the aesthetic. But why do you feel that that's even something you want? Well, I think I think I want to be challenged mm -hmm. and, and I want to be pushed. And so when you do so much of the writing on your own, I feel like I can get myself into boxes mm -hmm. and I don't know where the locking key is. And so that's why I love doing random sessions is because somebody who's, you know, I know is not going to finish the production because I know their aesthetic and vibe isn't right, but they can uh -huh. come and throw a curveball and it completely realigns your thinking and allows you to write in a different way. Mm -hmm. And so I did a lot of those sessions and I hated all the music as I wrote it. Like writing for me isn't necessarily cathartic. Uh -huh. Performing is cathartic. Okay. Writing is kind of painful. <laughs> and because I get really cerebral and mm. down on myself. Uh -huh. So I took all of these sessions, and I didn't write so many songs for the album. I probably wrote, had 20 ideas, and I'm really a, a quick decision maker. And okay. so I knew, I don't finish things unless I know I'm going to release them. Mm -hmm. And so I picked what I wanted to finish, and they were the productions were all over the board. Mm. The songs were just everywhere. And so I found three producers that I really love and respect with different skill sets. Uh -huh. And I funneled the productions through them. And so if a production was leaning to pop and pristine and kind of thin sounding, I would bring it to a producer and say, I need live drums on this. I need live bass. I mm. need you to kind of take this and make it more organic. Mm -hmm. Or other songs that were too left of center and kind of all over the place I would bring to this more pop-leaning producer and say, I need you to shine this up, make it pristine. And wow. and through that found a thread of cohesion in the album, sonically. Mm -hmm. And then ideally, my writing style and, and lyricism would be the rest of the cohesion. Right. Oh, that's fascinating. Did you, and then you would have to figure out later how am I going to play this live? Yeah. I mean, I feel like that process, I have a really brilliant MD who I've worked with for years. Is he and the drum pad? Is who? What is he in your band? Or is he he's, not? He he's play? not in the band. Okay. No. I mean, if I needed him, I'm sure I could recruit him <laughs> for the show. But he's uh, he's actually on the road with Nick Murphy right now. He, okay. he plays like the bass and saxophone for him. But he... Who is it? Um... Grant, Grant, <laughs> Zub his name. Yeah, Grant okay, Zubritsky. Grant. Grant. Oh, do yeah, you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've worked with Grant for years. Okay. And so... Did you know it was Grant when you were asking? No, but oh, I, okay. I knew that Grant, I know someone who work, who plays with Nick Murphy. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. you're also like, who's the sax player? It's, okay. it's Grant. Um, but he, we've come up together in a really cool way where when I started, the live set was all over the place and he was just starting to MD. And so... We were figuring out all of these things mm -hmm. about the live set. And now, finally, after four years, I feel like the live set is in a beautiful place where it feels up to my standards and it sounds great. Mm -hmm. And we play as much as we possibly can and then rely on the tracks to just fill space. Yeah. But I get, to, I get to play instruments, which makes me happy. You know, I, I, I didn't want to be a singer that just stood there. Because I'm awkward. And I'm <laughs> <laughs> but performing, you feel free and good, and playing different instruments doesn't intimidate you. That's no, wonderful. not at all. I, I definitely, I love performing. I just, I love the energy of it. I love touring. I, like, I love being in a van. I mm -hmm. love being tired. 
It's it's a weird thing. That's you're so ideal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's part a lot of people hate. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I, I have a question about the songwriting because um, you said that it's painful, but your writing is so evocative and the imagery is often very specific and it kind of like puts you back in your own moments that the songs inspire. So what is... I mean, what it, what is your in then to writing songs? It's interesting because I still have fundamentally the same process uh-huh. of writing from stream of consciousness okay. and then organizing the thoughts from there. Okay. And it's, I think, in the moment of writing, uh-huh. I don't necessarily see how things make sense. Okay. And so I'll do all this writing, and it sounds good, and like I know. I know things are fitting into whatever the song is, uh-huh. but I have no context for them. And so what I tend to do is, you know, for instance, songs like About You on the album, was li- that's the demo vocal from the first take Whoa. of like Stream <laughs> of Consciousness. And then I uh, did some editing and that in the moment I, I didn't know what the song meant and I had no, I d- no ideas, no context. Yeah. And then after finishing the song, playing it so many times like I have a very clear interpretation <laughs> of what that means and yeah. and I also see how convoluted the meaning is uh-huh. and how it can be interpreted differently by yeah. different people. Yeah, I saw that you said somewhere you're not a storyteller of stories that need to be interpreted in a certain way. That doesn't mean you're not a storyteller, but you just but they can that's so open to interpretation and you yeah. That's something that I miss in a lot of pop music today. Yeah. Things like so many lyrics are very literal now, right? Um, you know, like I miss listening to like songs like Joni Mitchell, right? And you're like, what the hell does that lyric mean? It's one of my favorite lyrics ever, but I have no idea what she meant when she wrote it. Yeah. But I have my own interpretation, you know, and that's why I think those songs can last for so long because they can evolve in their meaning and mean different things to different people. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I feel like we're kind of missing that in a lot of music now. So I do really appreciate that about your music. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. When when you come up with these things, what's the process then? You it's in your head. Do you uh, do you put it into a computer? Do you put it in GarageBand, Pro Tools? Like, what do you do? What's your next step? Mm-hmm. I have a few next steps that, depending on what I'm working on, mm-hmm. when I definitely chronicle all the lyrics in my phone, <laughs> which is kind of terrifying if I ever lose that phone. Um, it's in the cloud, but I yeah, it's in the cloud. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> But the good ones stay with me, mm-hmm. and and I think that's so. So certain lyrics that maybe I e- didn't even write down, it's like oh, that keeps coming up in my head, and so I know I'll finish that idea. And when I'm home, which is now, I sit for a few hours a day, and I just play piano and and write them out, and hope mm. that something good comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then every once in a while, I'll have someone send me a track. So I'm writing to more of an instrumental. So you try and apply. You, like, try and just fit pieces in where you think they should go uh-huh. and hope the result is cool. Do you enjoy yeah. that part of the process? Yeah, that part is, like, when it's good, it's good. And when it's hard, it's hard. Yeah. And so I know I feel like I'm not a miserable songwriter, I promise. No, <laughs> no but it's interesting. You... you find joy and like ease and so much of the other stuff I've, it's impossible to find an artist I feel who's like every piece of it is a pleasure you know well, like one right. part so yeah songwriting is wrenching a little <laughs> bit but then you you know it happens and then you go and play it and you're like having a ball and so yeah. I think it's like 
anytime I'm in my head or alone, it's like the I'm either like on cloud nine or I'm just so in my head that I can't distinguish true from false. And I'm like, I'm just going to die in this room. There's like, there's no hope. But in the van, it's cool. Yeah, the van's great. Okay. Well, you have people to distract you. Yeah. You know, it's Who do like, you tour with? On tour, I have the best crew. I think like it's shaking up a little bit, which is nerve wracking. But this last run and the two before it, I have Nicole Mago, who is my photographer and merch girl. Do you? Yeah, yeah Nicole is the best. Yeah. Um, and she's coming on this next run. And we just have a really great dynamic. But I didn't know her before I took her on the first tour. She came as a Facebook post recommendation. Awesome. And I was like, cool, you're in. It'd be, it, it'll be nice touring with another woman, mm-hmm. which I'd never done before. Uh-huh. And so... She's on the road, and then I play with Andrew Marshall on drums, and he's just next-level phenomenal. And so he's taken the drum parts that we've given him, in a way, and really reinterpreted them into something amazing. But he just left me for L.A. Oh, no. So, I mean... Classic tale. I know, a a classic tale of Los Angeles. (laughs) That being said, I know he'll be back for for shows and stuff. And uh, I mean, do you think we might lose you to L.A. at some point? No. No. No, no, no. no, no. L.A.'s on fire. Why would I I go there? That's true. Yeah, it's not the moment. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, God, it's crazy. I was just on a road trip last week driving from LA to Portland and we drove through Ventura County. And at a point we saw this like flame coming out of the mountain and we we're like, oh my God, there's a fire. And then as we got closer, we saw it was just coming out of like a smokestack. It was like a factory or something. I was going to say, it's, it's But not... then we started, you know, we had this whole conversation about like, oh, that's like so dangerous here and this can catch on fire so easily. Oh and we God. beat the fires by like one or two days, I think. Anyway, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, scary. there's lots of reason to be scared anywhere. Yeah. Very <laughs> <Fine. laughs> true. But we won't live in fear. No. Yeah, no. Um, I want to ask you, you're talking about how you can get stuck in a kind of dark place in your head because I know you've spoken before on record about depression and I'm wondering how big a part of your life is that now it's interesting it really depends what day you ask me Mm -hmm. I'm I think it's still like an insidious crazy part of my life that I feel like is one thing that I haven't necessarily found a solid hold on. Uh-huh. But 
I, you know, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs, you know, I don't take prescription medications, mm-hmm. and th- those are all just, like, personal choices that people do what they do. I just don't navigate in that way. Mm-hmm. And so what I've been left with is really just experiencing depression, like, full force without relief from mm-hmm. it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And figuring out why and and how to make meaning even in that and recognizing that, okay, maybe this is a part of me that may or may not Mm -hmm. go away and how do I then become a useful part of that conversation? And and I think in the the ether, in the world, you see all of these people, right, on Instagram, Twitter, social media, everybody's putting out their, like, very best selves, Mm -hmm. right? So everyone, like look so fucking glamorous and skinny and Mm -hmm. and great and they're like i don't know at a cute cafe or in paris and you know i obviously try and put my best foot forward because i don't want to look like a disheveled wreck but also i've made it a point when talking to people who listen to my music and are ideally you know who like it and are inspired by it and it you know resonates with them that Sometimes I am a disheveled wreck, and sometimes I, when I'm operating, it's harder some days than others, and it's actually cool wherever you are in the process from, like, being fucked up and crazy to a place of health, and, like, wherever you're at is fine, mm-hmm. as long as, you know, like we said before, you're taking the next right step, and mm-hmm. so so long as I'm acting, like, within my integrity of, like, you know, I set a goal to wake up and get out of bed this morning and go exercise and yeah. write for four hours. It's like, cool, I can do that with 40 pounds of, like, depressive weight on my shoulders. Or I can do that and feel great. And does so, the writing ever, I know it's a hard process, but are, does it ever give you catharsis? I mean, you're writing out these feelings. You know what? The performance of it does. But not the putting the, it out on the putting, paper. The putting it out on paper is just, you know... It's just, I want to say yes, it's like but it's, it, yeah, but it's not. It's it just fucking, like. That's not where songwriting even originated for you. Like, yeah. it didn't come from a feeling of wanting to put these feelings it into was, a part, an art form. Yeah, it's always, like, the reinterpretation once I have some space from it where I can see, like, oh, okay, I like, I understand this. The process is, can be very much me being, like, you suck. Nope, you suck. <laughs> but isn't that when you sit down to write intentionally when you say, I'm going to write for four hours versus if you're walking and you're feeling something or you're in the shower and you're feeling something and it comes out? Yeah, like that part is good. That's yeah, like the, init- to- the initial inspiration is phenomenal, okay. right? If I can live, if I yeah. could live in a bubble of like <laughs> infinite inspiration, we'd be having a much different conversation. Just lightning strikes. Yeah, so yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But I, that's interesting too because I wonder if there's so much I want to get to a little bit about the independence and like choice to be not under the thumb of any label but part of that I would imagine is that you don't have a timeline you don't have someone saying you must produce now so like the living in the inspiration while it's of course you can't make a living that way but you can almost have a little bit more freedom to do that because there's no timeline other than your own yeah I was just about to say you're (laughs) you're forgetting I set the timeline right right. (laughs) and I am extremely hard on myself so you're worse than a label yeah Yeah. exactly I am worse than a label where do you find that time where does like have you 
figured out what the industry is doing in a in a in an industry like label way and you say I'm just going to do that just without them like no. what's the game <laughs> like so, what do you know or what are the rules yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I can right. tell you what all the dirt I know about labels great no I'm kidding um <laughs> I think for me in the beginning of my career there was a very set goal of we're going to sign to a label right that was right when mm-hmm. you look at what does success look like success yeah. looks like signing to a major label mm-hmm. And so that was the goal for the first EP. And then I had the second EP ready to go in the bag. And we were about to sign to a major label. And it was great. And it was like two days before we were going to sign. And they backed out. Very last minute. And it's the best thing that has ever (laughs) happened to me. So, like, I had no money. I had, like, literally no money. You had the EP made? Yeah, made. Done. And And I... Back then, I was a waitress, and I, you know, waited tables for two months straight. I made all the money to release the EP and tour on it. I didn't see sunlight for weeks. No. <laughs> it was really depressing. Except inside that Applebee's. Yeah, yeah, inside the Applebee's. And so what that, the reason I mentioned that is because that was kind of the catalyst of me being decisively independent and kind of wanting to continue my career that way. Because the first two, e- the first EP especially, but this and the second EP to an extent had like a lot of streaming success. So probably between the two, there's about twenty million streams, mm-hmm. and everything in the music industry operates on a on a lag financially. So I didn't recognize. No one told me that. Like I was gonna get paid, right? Like I think I think Spotify and streaming get such a bad rap on this podcast because I'm if you are on a la- if you are on a label and you're yeah. sharing that money, it's a completely different story than if you're mm-hmm. not. But when you're on a label, you're not sharing that money. You're just not getting it, okay, right? right? And so, eventually, what happened was I made a decision to quit the day job before I was sus- like sustaining the career independently. And I literally had people begging me to quit. And my mom was like, quit your fucking job. Like, Jesus, <laughs> this is getting ridiculous. Because you were seeing money from streaming already? Not yet. Not- but it was, it was like I was too busy with the project. So any time I spent not on the project was a waste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And within a month, you know, I had booked you know, a few college shows and I started seeing the streaming money and there was now a context for how I could make this work independently uh-huh. if I operated on small, smart budgets, on realistic timelines with realistic goals. Uh-huh. And so my philosophy kind of shifted to I would rather maintain this independence and flexibility and grow at a slower rate and, and really build an organic fan base mm-hmm. versus signing away ownership and control to a larger entity where you don't know what's going to happen because you're not in control. You're not in control of how the money's spent on what your timeline is. So, yeah, you get an advance that maybe lasts you for two years, but you're in a deal for longer and you're not necessarily making that money and you're not necessarily a priority. Right. And what is the advantage aside? So they have the connections, they have, they give you an advance, but other than that, you can do it all on your own. Well, it's interesting. I, right, I never want to say never. So I, I don't want to sit here and say I'm never going to sign to a major label. Yeah. 
um, or I'm never going to sign away my master's. Uh-huh. Things change. Right. That being said, I don't. I don't necessarily see the value for me at the moment in my project unless I can be guaranteed certain th- certain things, certain flexibilities that I know where the money is being spent. Because when a, when you're signed to a label, you sign away that control. But it's also this idea of you know, where all of the money they spend is actually your money, essentially, because Mm -hmm. you're on the hook to recoup it. Right. And so if somebody on a whim decides to put $100,000 to radio just to see what will happen, right, because radio is that expensive and it doesn't work, well, you're going to be on the hook to recoup that. Mm -hmm. And if you don't recoup it in a way that is fast enough or appropriate for this label... Right, they're going to be more hesitant to invest more money in things that'll actually grow an mm-hmm. organic fan base, like touring, mm-hmm. or like music videos, mm-hmm. or like marketing. So it's like everything's a trade. It's like yes, a record label can take you from zero to a hundred in two months. Like mm-hmm. I can't do that independently with my infrastructure, but what I can do is make albums, tour albums, and get to interact with people and grow like you said it's Mm -hmm. like things have been growing incrementally we went from a 250 cap venue to a 650 cap venue in a year and a half and so ideally we'll do the same next time (laughs) and and so just one foot in front of the other always the next right thing and ideally it'll work well for someone who didn't know anything about the music business starting (laughs) out now you can school people (laughs) i know a lot now What was the moment, the first catapult, though? So in 2014, you released your first EP, and that went viral, or was it a song that just blew up? Like, how did that first jump happen? It's really interesting. So before I had management, before I had anything, I had written a song called Heartbeat, and I made a video for it, and then I had that Google session right right before I released the video, chose the name, and I had this video, and nobody fucking watched it. <laughs> nobody watched it. Because no how ca- would they know to yeah, watch Yeah, how would they know? It was really before Spotify was Spotify. Uh-huh. So I had no idea what to do. And so I was, one day, it, it was I released the video January of like probably 2013. Don't quote me on my years. I don't know anything. <laughs> um, and in January of that year, I was like, I'm going to get on Twitter like, I need to interact with people. I'm, like, antisocial and working 70 hours a week. I need <laughs> something. And so I got on Twitter, and I started following music blogs, and I started following people in the industry mm-hmm. just to see what to do and what was up. And I started mailing or emailing the track to all these blogs, probably, like, 150. No one responded. Literally no one except after a month or two, one blog in the U.K. responded to me and said, we would love to post this on our blog. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the moment. (laughs) (laughs) This is it, guys. And it was a blog called Self Blown, which is a hysterical (laughs) name, in the U.K. Yeah. And it wasn't a massive blog. It wasn't like a, I don't know, Consequence of Sound or something like that. But apparently, unbeknownst to me, it was like an industry blog in the U.K. Okay. And so it was... The blog that all the A and R's looked at because they had a good reputation of posting good new music, 
And so before management, before anything, I took a month-long trip to the UK to meet with every label, the, like the president oh, wow. of Polydor, every publishing company, like solo, <laughs> because this had caught on wow. on industry, which then prompted U.S. labels to reach out, which is preposterous, really. It's like all of these things being offered, people offering to like mix and master all my songs, fly me out to here or there. And I was like, I have one song here. Right, but that's, that's right. When you're long. talking about labels and things, like that's how people operate sometimes, mm -hmm. which I was grateful for at the time. But you think of it now, and I'm like, they didn't even know if they liked me. They didn't even know if I had potential. It was right. just something, something's, something other people want is in the mix. Like, yeah. I, I want it now. Yeah. And so eventually. I took that down and led with Strange Enough as the first official single. And I, I don't even know if it went viral. I think people just really gravitated towards it. And it was when Hype Machine was really big. And yeah, so it yeah. got the first, I think, four, four or five, six, like a ridiculous amount of number of songs mm -hmm. went to number one on Hype Machine. And so that was really beneficial. And I was lucky that Spotify has been a really big advocate of mine from the beginning. And so we, you know, we've had a lot of support from Spotify. So what does that mean? Um, like playlists? and Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's just allowed access to the music mm -hmm. in a way that, you know, everybody uses. I mean, now Apple Music, but really so many people are on Spotify and they yeah. have such a large part of the market. And so nothing of mine has ever gone viral. Like, I haven't had, like, a Maggie Rogers viral moment, for instance. <laughs> uh -huh. But that being said, everything has really... I've gotten lucky with how stages have been set, and I've been able to take advantage of that and utilize it to uh -huh. take the next stage on. Yeah. Awesome. So you're touring next year? Yeah. Early next year? I'm touring uh, March 1st to April 16th Okay. all around the U.S. Cool. Some places I haven't been. And then I'll be doing more touring summer, fall. Okay. It's just not booked yet, so right. I have no information <laughs> for you. Well, I'm sure that information will be available when people need it. Um, I want to ask what big piece of advice you would have to people who are waiting tables right now <laughs> and trying to get their music heard and feeling a little down on their luck or a little hopeless. Oh, goodness. I love talking to people who are just starting out and yeah. unsure of what to do and I think now like you need five thousand dollars really you figured like, out the science of it yeah, yeah and I mean it's not a pure science but <laughs> you need you obviously need a great song mm -hmm. right but with if you have a great song and a, and a vision for what you want to do and five thousand dollars to yeah. put a realistic push behind it to, to get your aesthetics together to get a publicist on board for a month to get it a premiere and to guarantee that somebody will hear it um then you can reach out to spotify yourself you can reach you can really find anybody you want to mm -hmm. and most people will have a conversation with you or at least respond and tell you who will have a conversation with you right and so i think this idea of you can really hustle the start of your career and then test the marketplace before you sell all of your control to a major label, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And so you can see, all right, how did my song react? Um, who Who is this song for? 
right? What group of people? Who? What is my fan base and how do I engage them? And this idea of finding... I had an interesting conversation with someone the other day and he was talking about like super fans and like everything is about super fans and there's a really good book called Tribe and it's like you find your people and you mm -hmm. cater to your people mm -hmm. and then the goal is just to get to the next layer of people mm -hmm. and then the next layer of people right and kind of coming back to the theme of this podcast which is like one step in front of the other it's like it's all you can do mm -hmm. and so instead of going all right cool I want 15 million fans it's like, <laughs> right now I have an amazing group of people who follow me who listen to everything I put out how, yeah. do, how do I just next level uh, and with social media all of those fans will act as your publicists also right. <laughs> yeah know? exactly they'll just keep circulating your stuff totally. yeah that's good advice I great advice it. yeah um, so somewhere in between is the album that's out now yes it's fucking awesome yeah thank you it's gorgeous and um, yeah thanks for coming on the show thank you for having me it's great Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.